For instance, that's uh, one organisation in the world that is seeking to pursue justice and to bring justice into our world. And uh, if you've never heard of International Justice Mission, there's an opportunity uh, for you to hear about them this morning and the work they do around the world. International Justice Mission and other organisations are also making a great difference. And our Catalyst Group, as you've heard, helps us to keep our eyes on the injustices in the world. Further than that, it's not just the Catalyst Group. We preach on it, we teach on it. Uh, we support organisations like Baptist World Aid, World Vision and other groups that seek to bring justice and alleviate poverty. Interesting about modern day slavery, just a few statistics, 40.3 million people in modern slavery. And they say out of that, 16 million exploited in global supply chains in the private economy, 4 million, <coughs> 4 million people in forced labour imposed by state authorities, 4.8 million people in forced sexual exploitation. 71% of trafficking victims around the world are women and girls. 15.4 million people are in forced marriages. You think of different ways in which people are caught up and enslaved. You know, it's a terrible situation across the globe. But it's not just that's this topic or this issue. There are unjust wars, there are civil wars, there is hunger... There is poverty, there's racial discrimination, sex discrimination, domestic violence, there's the lack of equitable health care, there are asylum seekers and refugees are often mistreated, the poor are still waiting for COVID vaccinations across the globe, people are affected by the impacts of climate change, First Nations people are crying out for justice, and there's a lack of affordable housing for many in our society. And together, we can make a difference. I thought it was interesting that the IGM had together, we can make a difference as well to end slavery. There's something about to working individually, but as a body of Christ, we pray together, we work together, we support together, and we want to make a difference. And we do that already. We sponsor children in some of the most difficult parts of the world. We give to various appeals and, and we pray. We contact politicians. We sign petitions. We advocate for the poor. But ultimately, as... I guess the interview with Julie teaches us, once we need to be captured by the heart of God for justice and mercy, if we're going to make a continuing and long-lasting difference. You know, I get caught up in these things. You do something for a period, then you get distracted with other things. It always seems too much sometimes, so you've got to live life. You've got to educate your children. You've got to go to work. At the same time, trying to keep in mind these big issues that we need to play our part in. Why do we need to do that? Well, Micah 6.8 says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And it's very clear in the Bible that God loves justice and mercy. And he calls his followers to imitate him in that showing justice and mercy. I love the story of the founder of World Vision, Dr. Pierce. And uh, having seen the poverty and, uh, overseas, he gathered with some men, and they, three men, they prayed together this prayer, May my heart be broken with the things that break your heart. As they prayed that prayer, God gave them a vision and a direction, uh, which led to the development of world vision, which is helping to bring justice across the globe, which is helping to alleviate poverty across the globe, that's seeking to bring help to people in desperate need. But it came from some people praying that our hearts would be broken with the things that break God's heart. And that's my prayer that uh, we would be a people who promote the gospel, 
who live in loving community. Do all those things we've been talking about that seek for the glory, to the glory of God, live for the glory of God. But if we live to the glory of God, we too must care for the poor and the suffering and those suffering injustice. If you've ever worked with someone who suffered injustice, if you've ever been through a court case, even in Australia, with someone who's not getting a fair deal, and you see lies being told, the court's manipulated to sentence someone who is innocent, that gets you involved, let me tell you. And I've been in those cases where we've seen just injustice, people going through the courts, innocent people, and someone wants to pronounce them guilty. So what does the Bible say? Jesus said, pursue justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Matthew 23, verse 23 and 24. He's speaking to the, law, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He calls them, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. The Old Testament teaches it. Jesus teaches it. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, these uh, teachers of the law and Pharisees, they're meticulous in their observance of the Old Testament tithing law. You see, the Old Testament gave certain rules of how you had to tithe. And you had to tithe basic crops, grain, wine, and oil. That was very clear. These guys went a step further. Not only did they give a tithe, a tenth, of their grain, wine, and oil, they gave a tenth of something that the law didn't say they had to do. Herbs, mint, dill, and cumin. They said, look how spiritual we are. Look how we have given. And yet, even in that, even in performing religious duties, Jesus speaks to them and says, you have performed religious duties. You think you are going beyond the law to satisfy God. Yet, neglected, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Friends, we can perform religious duties to the hilt. Even more than what the Bible tells us. But if we neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness, we come under Jesus' condemnation. Justice is seeking that the right thing is done. That the poor are not being exploited by the strong and the rich. Justice means to act justly, to step in and deliver the weaker person, the wrong person, by punishing the oppressor. Israel's leaders in the past were condemned for not doing this. The prophet spoke out against the leaders of Israel. Mercy... To love mercy is to see that a person in a weaker position, due to some misfortune or other, is delivered, not reluctantly, but out of a spirit of generosity, grace, and loyalty. You see the need and you, you step up to do something. Faithfulness means walking rightly with your God. Verse 24, Jesus illustrates the stupidity of their actions. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. What's he saying? I mean, Jesus is saying to them, listen, a gnat is a very tiny insect that is bred during the fermenting process. And the picture Jesus gives of these guys dressed in their ministerial robes, putting their wine through a gauze strainer. Here it comes again, strainer after strainer to make sure there's no little gnat in there. He said, you work so hard to be holy. And yet, the fact that you neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness, you're swallowing the... the uh, Massive, the massive unclean animal, the camel. The warning to us is this. Are we concerned about gnats while we swallow camels? What are the things that we get upset about? And sometimes in church we worry about, you know, did we sing the song too fast, too slow? 
you know, did we sing the songs we liked? Uh, how long is the service going for? I've got to go hurry up, morning tea, I'm hungry now. Um, you know, my Bible study or someone didn't ring me this week, they should have, and we get a little bit upset. Or, and I wonder sometimes, I'm not saying we do, I just wonder sometimes if we, we do those types of things instead of focusing on the things that really matter. And do we pursue or focus more on personal spirituality and evangelism, all important things? Jesus is not saying tithing is not important for the, uh, the Pharisees, but we neglect justice and mercy and compassion. Secondly, be driven by a love for God and neighbor. Mark chapter 12, uh, it's a situation where the teachers of the law came and heard Jesus debating, and they asked him of all the commandments, which is the most important. The most important one answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now he gets to it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Get it right. God must be number one. Secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandments greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one. There is no other but him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. We can offer our sacrifices, we can sing our songs, but if we do not love our neighbor, we do not ultimately love God. Right response, what does Jesus tell us? The Old Testament says, right response to God, love God, make sure he's number one in your life. Secondly, love your neighbor. Seek their best, security, food, home, emotional support, prayer support, practical support. Treat your neighbor the way you treat yourself. In Uganda, Baptist World Aid work amongst uh, children in Uganda and communities, and they ask young children to uh, create a dream map. I like this, a dream map. In other words, they have to draw two pictures. Number one, the first picture is what's life like now? Describe, draw a picture of your life. And secondly, draw a dream map of what you would like your life to be like into the future. And this is what they drew. They said, they said, their drawings show villages where they are able to get treatment when they fall sick at hospitals. Families where there's a reliable stream of income to meet domestic and school needs. Their parents are working. Where there's enough food to feed, to eat, and where parents have access to good markets to sell their produce. So there are pictures of their parents selling their potatoes or selling whatever they've grown. And a legal system that protects them from abuse and life risks. That's the dream. That's all of our dreams, isn't it? Jesus says, care for the poor and the oppressed. Love God, love your neighbor. Thirdly, be concerned for the poor and social justice. In the Old Testament, there are three types of poor. There are the economically poor the oppressed or powerless poor, and the humble poor. And God's concerned for all three types of poverty. Justice is about the use of power. Injustice is the misuse or non-use or abuse of power. And so in the Bible, uh, <clears throat> all of this is applied to the treatment of the poor. I'm going to read a couple of passages in a moment to show you how the Old Testament speaks about the importance of justice for the poor. But I love the words of Desmond Tutu. He said this, If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant, I love this picture, if an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral, that mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. 
But God in the Old Testament declares his concern for justice. It's not just the Old Testament, it's the New Testament. We'll start with the Old Testament. So in the law, you know, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we, we talk the, the Pentateuch and we have the law, God's instructions to Israel. Let me give you an example of how God provides for the poor. It says, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. Listen to this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. In other words, don't keep all the food for yourself. Leave it for the ones who have nothing. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. God had a plan to feed the poor. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That's why I command you to do this. And then you move to the prophets. And the prophets speak against the rich and powerful who oppress the poor. And their outrage is strongest against a religion that is devoid of justice. And what you find in the prophets, the prophets speak against those who prayed and fasted and sacrificed and obeyed all the rules and regulations, but missed God's will and God's heart for the poor. I invited Tim and Steph, if you guys, they would come up and read a true prayer, true fasting and true sacrifice from the prophets. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 to 10, says, is not, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? When your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go forth before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. With, that, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my blood for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, 
to love mercy and to walk humbly before your God. Thank you so much for reading that, the word of the prophets. Just a few of the words. The the prophets are full of uh, instruction like that. It was a scathing attack on the rich because the, the Old Testament saw the prosperity of the rich resting largely on the exploitation and mistreatment of the poor. And often through a legal system, bias towards the rich, monopoly control, restrictive trade practices, unjust wages, and arbitrary price increases. Many of the poor had lost their land to large property owners. And then when we come to the Psalms, for example, and in the Psalms, what you see is that the poor, and you start to see that the poor or the economically poor become the spiritually poor. Because when you have nothing, you only have God, right? You call out to God. So what you see in the Bible is that when you get to the, the Psalms and even in the New Testament, when you talk about the poor, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Somebody says, blessed are the poor. They're the ones who have been... Uh, abused. They're the ones who have had money taken off them. They're the ones who have nothing physically. And they call out to God and they're pursuing God and they become more spiritual because they've lost everything else. And the psalmists, uh, they, they write to God and they call to God and they thank God that He is the one who can liberate them. He is the one who can help them. Only God can do that. And you can look that up at a number of psalms. So I said uh, in that quote there, the poor came to be synonymous with the pious and their social condition became a symbol of their spiritual dependence upon God. They're lonely and afflicted, but God is on their side. You come to the New Testament, uh, you'll be familiar with Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Remember, he went to the temple and uh, he unrolled the scroll. It says this, a scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus says, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And here, the, as I said, the poor, the materially poor and the humble poor come together. Jesus comes to bring forgiveness and new life. And it's really when Jesus turns up, it's the pious poor who are waiting for Jesus looking forward to the Messiah, looking forward to liberation and to freedom. They're the ones waiting for Christ to come, and he comes and brings hope to them. Then you move to the, uh, the epistles. For example, in James 1, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There's a care for others. And then 1 John chapter 3, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. So Christ is our model. Christ is our example. He gives his life for us. We trust in him. We find forgiveness and new life. Then he says, now as God's community, and we've been exploring that under the together theme, we love each other, we serve one another, we take the gospel to others, we realize we are in Christ, but that leads to uh, a new way of living, a life of sacrifice and generosity. So what can we do practically? Let me suggest a number of things for you. Number one, pray and study the Bible. If you pray and study the Bible, you'll get God's heart, God's mind. 
The more you're in the Word, the more you hear the prophets, the more you hear Jesus, the more you hear God speaking through the Word, and that changes your heart. It will make you angry at times at injustice. Let the Bible make you angry as you read it, when you see some of the injustices in there. Because anger sometimes, righteous anger, leads to action. Research and read. Get the facts about the poor and the reasons for their poverty. Be informed. Read the Justice 21 magazine by the Australian Baptist Ministries. I have a copy here, and you'll find that at the back, where they picked up some of the justice issues for Australia, written by uh, parts of the Baptist uh, movement right across our nation, just released. Read up on Baptist World Aid. Watch the World Vision programs when they come up. Find out what's happening with persecuted believers around the world. Read about International Justice Mission. Find out about First Nations issues in Australia. Research, read, be informed. Give generously to all causes, all types of causes to alleviate poverty. Many of you do already. I was at a Baptist World Aid event the other day. Invited to pray. They're talking about their vision, how to, to grow the ministry amongst the poor and to bring justice to places of injustice. And I was praying that we, as people and as leaders, would surrender to God and let Him lead us into new ways of giving and serving and ministering to those. Sponsor children, many of you do already. Give to the Ukraine appeals, the flood appeals. Give to groups seeking to end human trafficking and slavery. Advocate. Speak on behalf of the poor and the oppressed. Write to government. Meet with local politicians. Join our Catalyst group to find out uh, how to do that. And part of the Catalyst group, members have met with local MPs. These are some issues we're considering. We think you as a government need to consider this. When the government stops um, budgets uh, to help those in need overseas, every year it seems to be dropping the amount of money we give to those in need around the globe. Christians go, and we meet with our politicians, and I, I met with a, my local MP just a couple of weeks ago. Came to see me, talk about how I was going, talk about how he was going, talk about issues on our minds. Met with uh, our present Prime Minister when he was uh, a leader, he was looking after international uh, worker a few years ago. Six or seven or eight Baptist pastors met with him at Mordell Baptist Church. Say, Mr. Morrison, we reckon this. We reckon your government's not doing this well. And when it's the Labor guys, we're going to meet with them and we're going to say the same. If we think they're not doing a good job in the area of the poor and the oppression and injustice, we'll stand up. Advocate. You've got to work out what you're going to advocate for. And live simply. Sometimes we live like Westerners because we are. It's very hard not to live like a Westerner when you live in the West. It costs a lot of money to buy a house. That's a lot of money to do anything here, especially to buy petrol these days. Anyone riding the push bikes a little bit more? But there was a Congress uh, many years ago, and it said this, all of us are shocked by the poverty of millions and disturbed by the injustices which cause it. Those of us who live in affluent circumstances accept our duty to develop a simple lifestyle in order to contribute more generously to both relief and evangelism. Can we live simpler lives? Another consultation on a simple lifestyle wrote this. We include a resolve to renounce waste and oppose extravagance in personal living, clothing and housing, travel and church buildings. We also accept the distinctions between necessities and luxuries, creative hobbies and empty status symbols, modesty and vanity, 
occasional celebrations and normal routine between service of God and slavery to fashion. The point is that simple living is not incompatible with carefree enjoyment. Saying, think through how you can enjoy your life by spending less. That's something to think about this week, isn't it? I encourage you this week to act justly, to show mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let me pray. Father God of compassion, love and mercy, God of justice, may our hearts be broken with the things that break your heart. Show us injustice and oppression. Give us an eye for seeing the plight of others. Please give us the courage to face our own weakness and avoidance tactics. Help us to face the risks, the risks that helping others entail. Lord, we know at times it's costly. We love you and we worship you. We want to love and worship, or love, not worship, but love our neighbor as well. Lord, we want to fill your heart of love so that we are so moved that we would love others to your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.